Hello and welcome again to the Football Index podcast. And today I am joined by none other than Stanford, the rat catcher. You, am, <laughs> you may have seen him on Twitter setting out a few rat traps for you guys on the index. So welcome to the podcast, Stanford. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on, Pig. And um, big shout out to you and the work that you're doing. I think it's a really good bastion for the platform really enough i think it's um it's helping a lot of people out there so thanks for inviting me on and i hope that today we can um quell a few of those myths around um, what i mean by this whole rat catching business and um and also give some traders hopefully some advice well yeah thank you very much and uh, pleasure to have you on man uh, yeah definitely i think um just just the way that you tweet is is quite funny to me and a lot of people don't really know when you're serious or not so i thought it would be really good to get you on and like actually talk through like kind of your tactics on the index when you actually realize profits because obviously when you when you're tweeting you you often very much advocate holding so yeah t- talk me through your index journey kind of what you do why you've gone for this particular tactic and and how it kind of fits in with with your life because as i mentioned on previous podcasts you need to do like one tactic doesn't work for all why don't you walk us through that yeah absolutely so um my index history has got a bit of a checkered past, as I'm sure some of the Twitter community are aware. Um, I actually joined the Football Index quite a lot earlier than um, perhaps most realise. Um, so I actually joined in about the summer of 2015, um, so not long after it began. Um, I think it was shortly after um, Instant Cell was introduced. You mean 2016? Sorry, just to to backtrack 20, slightly. <laughs> 2016. There we go. It wasn't like a pre-member or anything like that, guys. Don't worry. <laughs> sorry, got my dates wrong. It's been a long day. Um, yeah, so I actually joined um, when a, a friend mentioned I should check it out, and uh, and I joined it, and I didn't really see that there was any legs in it. I didn't think that it was going to catch on. Um, so I probably deposited a few hundred pounds, and then. Um, wasn't on it for long and then withdrew it. Um, I can't remember if I made a profit or loss on, on that initial investment. Um, but anyway, um, approaching that Christmas, um, he mentioned again that it, you know, it had really taken off and, um, and that's when I got involved. So I've been investing quite seriously now for the past 15 months or so. Um, and I've deposited just over 40,000 and I've made uh, a return it's just sitting there about just just shy of eighty thousand at the moment, so almost a hundred percent in um in effectively fifteen months. So it's so it's been it's been a good journey for me. Um and I know a lot of other investors would have um made it made a bigger ROI on their investments. Um but the way that I've chosen to invest because of my job and my lifestyle um has been a long term strategy um with low maintenance effectively. So um, that's how I've set up my profile and I've just expanded it um, around that whole thesis. Okay, yeah, for sure. That's, uh, you know, that's really interesting. And I I think you mentioned before we started that you travel quite a lot. And obviously, when you're abroad, it's quite hard to access the index. So has that played a part, I'm assuming, in in your strategy? Yeah, absolutely. So um, not being able to access the index as readily as perhaps some users do certainly not on a a day-to-day basis and you know you can forget about day trading day trading by the hour although you know i am around sometimes to watch a game and 
perhaps partake in some of the short-term flips and things like that, which I'm absolutely no expert in. So <laughs> I'm the wrong guy to be speaking to about that. But um, I think one thing that's really important for um, a long-term strategy is portfolio balance. And um, I know it's something that's been touched upon in the past, but um, I just want, I think it's probably worth just elaborating um, what's important in a balanced portfolio. Um, so I think there's kind of two parts to, to balance. Um, the first is volume in the player that you own. And um, that makes you more susceptible to price movement. And the second is the value of the players you invest in, which will um, have an impact on the percentage of the portfolio that that takes up. And if your portfolio is not balanced in such a way that if um, there's a significant price movement in a certain player that you hold in a particular volume, then that can have quite a big impact on your overall value. Um, so it's important to diversify your portfolio. And um, if, you're, if you want to uh, reduce your attitude to risk and, and be a bit more risk averse, then perhaps just think about the volume that you hold certain players in. Um, to make you less susceptible to those price movements. Yeah, so on on that point, and I'm going to try and ask some pertinent questions that, because I uh, I can already tell you're very well spoken and I'm sure you're going to be able to bat some of these away quite well. So when a player like Neymar has gone to £11, say, and I'm assuming as a, a long-term investor, you own quite a few Neymar, I'm just guessing here. Do you not think that you are now more susceptible to downward price movement because of his high price? Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's a really good point. Um, and it's it's worth bearing in mind um, that the problem that you have when you hold in volume, and my personal cap might surprise some people, is is 1,000 of any future. Um, when you get that, when, when the price of a player um, is, is in a, the lower marketplace, say one to two pounds, then you can probably afford to increase that a bit, but I've just set my personal cap at a thousand. Um, and you're absolutely right. Um, you know, when a player is in a price spike, um, you know, the, the only way it's going to go is down. Um, the problem that you have when you're holding volume is that you control a certain amount of that player's price. And uh, if you choose to sell and you think that the price is going to go down, which is almost certainly the right thing to do, um, then, you know, fair play to you. Um, as a long-term investor, um, I kind of close my eyes a little bit to um, those downward price movements, and I just kind of see it as like a bump in the road because um, I know that you know it will go down, and a player, particularly like Neymar, the buzz returns that they're going to generate will go some way to offset the price movement, not all the way, um, but in general, you know they'll they'll take they'll take the sting out of it. Um, and it's also very difficult to judge these spikes and, and these troughs. Um, so anyone that's doing sort of selling within 10% and buying within 10% of the, the up and the down, you're doing really, really well. I just find as a long-term investor and, and my time that I've got available for the index, it's very difficult for me to pick out those price spikes and, and the troughs to, to make those trades. Fair enough. I mean, yeah, it, it clearly seems that you, uh, you, you don't have like the physical capacity to actually be on the index as, as much as you'd like. But I just wanted to, to ask, like when you do have major positions, say a thousand Neymar and he's had this magnificent run, right? From six pounds to 11 pounds. Even if you do have a thousand and, and say you saw the injury, 
taking a couple hundred off the table that's you know there's no shame in that and then buying at a later stage even if you do have to buy a higher price by selling that 20 percent of the thousand you've kind of like minimum minimize your downside and, and taken some off the table and slightly de-risked yourself does that never go through your mind it does it does go through mind for sure um but, you know like i said it's i find them very difficult to predict and um for example i saw um chap on Twitter that um, said he was de-risking his, his name opposition and I think it went for about 950 at the time um, and uh, and I think that was partly due to balance that he didn't want to be too overcommitted on a certain future which which I applaud and I think that's a really good move and then he can offset that risk onto different trades to diversify um, but I'm not in a position where that, that got to a certain risk margin that I thought it was too uh, big a risk to hold. So, and and, um, and I do think that people underestimated certain players' dividend potential. Um, and like I said, I think that goes some way to offsetting the, uh, the price movement. Yeah, no, I think Neymar's done quite well in terms of um, buzz returns. It's, you know, whether or not those dry up, it remains to be seen. And how quickly he comes back from injury again remains to be seen. I just wanted to ask, like, when you do sell players, what what instigates that? When you do realise profits, like, well, what is the reason for doing that if you are very long term? Is it a player going through a major dip in form? Like uh, I know we've got Alexis Sanchez now, not not having the greatest start at uh, Manchester United. You know, Messi and Ronaldo both had pretty rough patches for you know three months at a time. So, what what makes you sell a player? Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, so the market definitely runs in cycles, and the longer you've been around, the more you'll be able to recognise these cycles. Um, at the moment, I think we're in a bit of a, an unknown position with the World Cup coming up, and I think people genuinely underestimate how big this is going to be and how high people's um, prices are going to rise. And I think there's so much value in the index at the moment. Um, for example, I, I invested in um, Thomas Muller at around about a pound, and I put in my cap of a thousand, and he's doubled in value since. Um, and you know, I was just just to the, interrupt. Sorry, but is that not because of his performance rather than just because he's going to the World Cup? Because I'm not saying that he wouldn't have risen, but you know, like a double in price just because he's going to go to the World Cup with Germany is, you know, probably not why he's risen. He's is kind of find his found his form again recently. So, do you think like because in my opinion, I think that the World Cup is being slightly overstated just because I think that month beforehand, the the transfer window is going to be really volatile. And I think we're going to see some massive, massive price movements and, and probably some big moves as well. I mean, I talked to uh, Matt Santangelo and Peter Rutzler, who are on the podcast discussing French and Italian football, respectively. They were talking about how Real Madrid will make a lot of moves this summer how PSG will undoubtedly be in the market as well. We're going to see some big moves again. So when you, you are talking about uh, Thomas Muller, for example, do you not think that the performance had a hand in the price rise? And also, do you actually f see the World Cup being that major, uh, you know, a, a, a draw, especially as we don't know what's going on, as you, as you previously mentioned? Um, yeah, I do. I do think that, uh, certainly some of his price movement has been due to his form. Um, 
but I, I bought, um, I set up my strategy kind of just before Christmas in which I'd only buy players that were going to the World Cup for a top team that would have some legs in their club team for Champions League and Europa League to get into those triple dividend payouts. Um, and that they also were capable of attracting a media or a performance dividend. Um, and Thomas Muller fell right into that bracket. Um, I didn't think his dividend potential would be that great. Um, it has been okay. I think he's picked up two performance buzz wins along the way. Um, but I generally do think that the majority of his price is World Cup hype. And um, I expect him to rise along with other key players for their club teams, uh, sorry, for their national teams in the run-up to that. And I, and I genuinely do think people are underestimating the impact that the World Cup's going to have. Um, but the trader meet that's going on next week in Manchester where they're going to be announcing future plans, as they put it, um, whether we'll get the whole World Cup show announced then, I'm not sure whether they'll wait till the end of the month. Um, but, you know, this this is a massive opportunity at the moment for everyone involved in the index. Um, I think that the dividends are going to be enormous for the World Cup. I think they're going to be um, bringing out some some additional payments in in addition to the standard platform that we've got. Um, and I think people are in a real good position to get on board before that rise happens. Um, so that's kind of like a, a market cycle, if you like, the build up to the World Cup pre-transfer window. Um, and as a long-term investor, they are the key points that you would look to exit a certain position or choose to hold for a further market cycle. Yeah, I mean, I was actually going to just point out on, on the whole World Cup thing. Do you not think what will experience some some massive price rises as you said but also because we know that those players aren't worth that when the world cup is finished when these teams crash out we're also going to see some massive falls aren't we in price anyway yeah yeah i i go with that um although i have been surprised at the um the impact that the t teams that have exited the european league and champions league have had um, and i've been quite surprised at how limited their falls been um which is kind of reassuring for a long-term investor um, because you know that there's a little bit more stability in the market than perhaps you thought. Um, there is a lot of volatility during the game, but if you if you sort of close your eyes to that and um, and look at it a couple of days after these dropouts have happened, then they recover quite quickly. And whether it's because it's um, I'm only purely looking at those players that are going to the World Cup, the likes of Dean Maria, for example, that um had quite a big fall after psgx i think he went from about two pounds to about one pound 70 at his lowest um that i saw from the graph um but now he's back up to you know one pound 90 something so his price has been limited you know to only a percent or so and the same same things happened with harry kane to an extent um so whether those players that crash out of these national teams as they exit the tournament um those that have got something else behind them perhaps a transfer um or they're you know they're going to be um in a really good position at the next club next season um you know those are those are the players i would expect a limited fall on yeah i think i really want to pick up on that point sorry about um like actually having some other sort of backing for price like a transfer like being a good performer 
I think a lot of people are actually buying purely on the World Cup, which I'm not sure is the greatest strategy because, as I said, when these teams crash out, as we've seen in the Europa League and the Champions League, we're going to see some massive falls. So when investing in players, like, do you think people are maybe overstating it because they're buying just because of the World Cup? Potentially, yeah. There's, there's certainly a case for that. Um I, I do think that um, the expansion that's going on in the index at the moment, when, when a player does fall, take Alexis Sanchez, for example, you know, um, I was quite a big holder of Sanchez and I was expecting a, a better dividend payout than we've seen so far. Um, but I don't think that's going to be um, reflective as him over sort of a, a year hold or a three year hold, however long you want to hold him for, or indeed to the end of the season. Um, but I think as the index grows, and we've, we've seen substantial growth recently um, with the, the promise of new territories and the World Cup announcements coming up um, with um, deposit bonuses, referral friend bonuses, that type of thing, um, then as a player sinks and the rest of the index grows around them, they, they offer more and more value. And every day I look at players that have sunk significantly and, and other players are rising. It just makes them look like more and more of a bargain. Um, so whether those players that have risen then fall again and they suddenly, the player that you're looking at suddenly looks overpriced, I'm not sure. It's obviously going to be a judgment call at the time. Yeah, no, I think that's a, that's a good point. And like, yeah, as you said, comparative value is, is quite a, a big thing in, in football index. Like a lot of people judge the, a player's price in like accordance to the actual dividends returns that they could reap. But a lot of the value in there is because people are comparing price and saying, well, if Neymar is this price, then, you know, how much can I make elsewhere? But I just yeah. wanted to wanted to go back on, on Neymar really slightly. And because you mentioned three-year hold there, I'm kind of a firm believer that no player is a, is a three-year hold because football is, is just such a changing sport. I mean, Dimitri Payet at West Ham for one season looked like an absolute world beater. He looked like he could walk into any side anywhere and then suddenly he was off to to you know to to marseille for family reasons and he's he's not really been the player that he was with that are you also not worried say if neymar's injury was more of a nine month injury rather than a three month injury are you not scared to reassess that three-year thesis oh yeah i mean when i say it's a three-year hold that's you know that's not set in stone i'm not that ignorant that um that I would refuse to sell someone if it was obvious that their price is going to be massively affected by uh, a circumstance. So, um, you know, I don't buy with the intent, with certainly not with that set in stone. So it's always, you know, it's a, it's a movable piece. Um, what were you saying about uh, Neymar's, uh, it, oh, so his injury, yeah. So for example, if, if it does turn out to, that it's going to be a longer term injury and, and I am, for once in a million years available to be first onto that news, then perhaps I would uh, um, use that theory of balance and move off some Neymar. I don't know whether I've moved all, all of them on because, you know, that would in itself attract a lot of dividend returns, certainly in the initial part, whether that would offset the fall, I doubt it. Um, yeah, I was, I was just going to say a nine month injury. I, I don't think any dividend returns would, uh, would be offsetting that price uh, reduction. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to to kind of so with this strategy and having a big portfolio, you, you've obviously gained a, a growing 
following on Twitter, as a lot of the, the big investors have. When people will ask you for advice, and I don't know how often this happens to you, what, what do you kind of advocate to them? Do you, do you kind of advocate this certain strategy? Um, I'd, I'd advocate everyone doing what's right for them and their lifestyle. I think the index should be something that should really be enjoyed. I remember getting in touch with, um, with Ross Dyer back in the summer when it was an absolute bloodbath. And, <laughs> um, and I was just like, mate, I really don't think this is for me. And then, you know, um, as, as Vaney will shout to the shout from the treetops about how I decided to sell my entire portfolio, um, <laughs> the, uh, the announcement of the squad list being introduced that that's an example of a circumstance where it would have a massive impact on my strategy um, so I decided to exit my entire position because my whole strategy was built on that um, and it wasn't until um, uh, and maybe I should explain that a bit further so when the squad list was introduced um, the, the IPOs uh, penny stocks as they were being referred to, which I think was mainly uh, Rumorville on Twitter. Um, I thought, you know, why would someone hold um, a thousand Harry Canes at five quid when they can get uh, a million, I don't know, quadrados at a penny? Um, so that's where I thought the money was going to go. It's just going to be a top to bottom flow and it would be a bloodbath for all my investment. Um, Almost the day after, well, even less than that, 12 hours after I finished selling my entire portfolio, they then announced double dividends, which, <laughs> which reversed exactly what I thought would happen. Um, so fortunately, um, I was in a position where I had my entire portfolio in the balance. I hadn't withdrawn it um, at that point. So I could then invest in a more performance buzz weighted strategy um, that allowed me to actually benefit in, in a way it probably didn't offset the, the amount of commission for all index to me to the cleaners for but you know <laughs> it, it didn't allow me to address that balance and ultimately end up with a, a better portfolio than I had 12 hours before uh, which is it's just funny how things work out sometimes so I wouldn't say I won in that situation but it probably mitigated a lot of the of the losses that happened yeah I think uh, that that was a that was a hairy a hairy moment for a, a few investors I mean for me, it was always like, well, there might be a slight dip, but we're still going to see the bigger and best players win dividends, as we've kind of seen now, right? Like, even with without double payouts, we wouldn't be seeing the price or the prices that we have right now. But, like, the, the dividend payouts would still have been the same. Like, you know, Neymar and your Messi's, your Ronaldo's would still be returning the most performance dividends because they are, you know, performing the best, so to say. But, you know, like enough about, you know, bad times on the index. <laughs> yeah, I, um, I wish I had your foresight at the time. <laughs> much better placed. But um... yeah, I wanted to kind of pick up on on, on selling and, and commission, actually. And, and, you know, better than anyone because you have a lot of money in this platform that, the way that Football Index runs is, you know, is commission oriented. So the way that they make a lot of their profit or their money to, to actually continue this operation is is via commission. And uh, you, you've often tweeted about uh, rats taking money from your pockets. So do you want to just uh, clear that one off? I can see you're, you're smiling quite a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the term rats, I, I don't know. I just thought it was a comedy off the cuff comment um, <laughs> when, uh, you know, because you, you, you put down, your stake and and then everyone's just shaving off profits at sort of 
10, 20%. And, uh, and I was just like, you know, why aren't people waiting for 50%, for 60%? Uh, in fair play, if you want to take your 10%, 20% profits, that, you know, that's money in the bag, move on to the next one, and that's fine. Um, but I think some people lack um, a little bit of patience on occasion. And, and I would certainly advocate um, people just perhaps sitting on their hands before they make a sale and thinking, okay, right, he's, he's, he may come off this price uh, peak over the next few days. What's his potential thereafter? Um, I'll take Deanbury and Thomas Muller as good examples again. You know, they've been up and down, but the trend has been upwards. Um, so they're kind of bumps in the road for me, but if you want to um, shave off those um, profits at a lower percentage, then I can't argue with that. Um, but my biggest concern with this whole um, trading out of those positions at those small percentages is for trader retention, uh, which I think is the most important point uh, for the index at this current time um, as a growing platform in its sort of third year um, of the business model. And, um, and if players are getting stung by these buying at those price points um, and they don't really understand why, um, then I've got a few tips in the bag to help you get in ratted out, as it were. <laughs> so Go on. Uh, the first is to look at the trend um, list. So there's five players that will be have the biggest percentage um, price trends. And it's done in percentage, uh, unfortunately, rather than pennies, which we've been asking for a long time, but um, falling on deaf ears at the moment. Um, so it, it kind of excluding IPOs because they'll be grossly... Um, uh, skewed by that data. Um, so when someone's trending, um, it's a good example that they are approaching a price peak. Um, not all the time. If, if there's a good reason for it, then perhaps they'll continue to go. Um, but generally, if they're trending, uh, you need to start asking questions about, is this sensible that I buy? Um, the second is if they're being market sold. So on the ticker feed, um, you'll see I, uh, someone bought this immediately followed by someone sold in the same volume um, and that's an indication that someone's listed to the sell queue and someone's just taken their profit out of that so you're buying at his sell point um, which, and people sell for a million reasons it, it's not always doesn't always indicate it but in general it will indicate that you've bought from the queue um, but the, the, just to just to interrupt you slightly yeah but that um that sell point the 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 queue sell that might not indicate the peak of a player's price. That might be just someone like taking their profit and, and leaving that position. Oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. And it's, that's that's one of the things we'll come to experience. It's really difficult to call. Um, and like I was saying, when um, people have bought within ten, maybe twenty percent of a price peak, then you've done really, really well. It's it's judging how high players are going to go. And I know you said before, players generally go higher and fall lower. But just just to just to press on to that twenty percent point, sorry to cut you off once more. But if you do have say a hundred pound portfolio, that fifty percent price spike or price trend, as as you label it, might not happen for two three months. However, these twenty thirty percent price spikes can happen in a short amount of time. I mean, I'll take Alfie Mawson for example. From the twenty sixth of February, he's gone up fifty p from seventy six pence that's not like a particularly long time and and selling at this price or one pound um you know that's that's still quite a substantial amount of money made from from a really small capped player 
And also, when you do exit that position, I've got a video on why selling early is, is not necessarily a bad thing. You can then put that money into a position where the ceiling hasn't been reached or isn't close to becoming that price point, if that makes sense. So yep. when you do exit a position early, like for the 20, 30%, as you were saying, the, the smaller scalping margins, and then you move that money into a player who is kind of at the bottom of their trend before kind of the explosion, then you've kind of made the right decision. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd agree with that. Um, it's, but it, it is very difficult to judge these price peaks. Um, but you're, you're totally right. It, it is easier to offload a position on the way up because there will be more buyers because people will still think that he hasn't reached that peak. So market sell will be uh, a good option to use rather than having to take commission hit on a, on a spread at an instant sell price. Um, so perhaps selling just shy of what you think a price peak is, um, if you are looking to exit a position, then yeah, that's a good move. And for those players, those traders that have got um, a more modest account, then um, I think trading more regularly and a shorter term um, strategy is the way to go. There's definitely more returns to be made from um, trading with a, 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 shorter, a shorter time span strategy and taking advantage of those bumps in the road. But if you're someone that hasn't got um, the time or you're away a lot or you, you just don't want to uh, have it take up more of your time, then there, there are occasions when you can uh, just just ride the bump out and just just let it go. Um, so there's you know there's there's positives and negatives to both aspects, and you know I'm I'm just an advocate of the of my personal investment strategy, uh, which is certainly well for my lifestyle choices. Yeah, fair enough. And again, as I said in the previous podcast, like whatever actually works for you. And if you're making money, then that's completely fine. Like maximizing your profits is really, really hard to do. And if you don't have the time to either put the research in, you know, be on the index once a day, because I'm pretty sure that most people that are on it kind of like their fancy football teams, they check it pretty much every day. Um, I just wanted to pick up on another point you made about, um, about user retention and how some people would get stung by these drops or, or flipper rats as, as you quite uh, affectionately coin them but how, how would football index work if you know people didn't buy and sell yeah well i mean they are they do have a symbiotic relationship so you, you can't have one without the other you need liquidity to fund the dividend process that they've put in force and you know um, that's that's the fundamental keystone of their of their product um but what I would say is that, and I only come um, to realize this a, a few days ago, that li liquidity is very healthy in the marketplace, and that's that's essential. That's absolutely essential. But I don't think volatility is, and I think volatility um, will scare a lot of users. And in the current um, business uh, cycle that, sorry, um, you know, the third year cycle of the business. Um, I think stability is really important for new signups. So as as the, the market is growing at a huge rate and they're, and they're having a, a huge amount of users on board with new territories, um, and it's just reaching to a, a bigger and bigger market share from the sports betting side. And, um, and I don't think volatility will be handled that kindly by new users. So 
I think personally that market stability is important at the moment. Um, and I think volatility is potentially a little bit damaging. And I know you can't have liquidity without volatility, but if it's too volatile, then I think a lot of people will be put off, although it does represent um, good um, opportunities for those seasoned traders that see it for what it is. I just want to yeah pick up on a few points and uh, again when you do first join the index the the you know the volatility can be scary but I think every person that joins has to kind of realize that the reason that you've not put your money into some like government bonds that are going to return you 8% a year is because of this volatility and the volatility is the reason that you can profit so greatly on football index and I and I like to think that this gambling product is kind of like a gateway to for a lot of people to actually get interested in investing and when you do realize that these kind of returns are really hard to come by anywhere else apart from i don't know maybe like cryptocurrencies or like some really really small um startups that could explode and even them at that time as we were discussed in the last podcast with asp that about 90 95 of startups fail that can also be quite risky so there is no reward without great risk and I mean, with the returns that we are seeing, the volatility, sorry, the volatility, in my opinion, isn't really like that damaging. And also, as you talked about, like a stable market, do you mean like stable as in like a, you know, continuing uptrend? Because that uptrend can't last forever. We do need to see like bumps in the road, as you said. We can't just kind of go, you know, like diagonally upwards, if that makes sense. So what, what would you say to, to those points? Well, yeah, I, I think um, we're still in the growth stage of this for this platform. Um, so I, I sometimes think of it as an analogy of, you know, it's like a bucket of water and you've got the tap on and now and again, someone kicks this bucket and the money flows around from one play to the other. And sometimes it's a big kick and you get a big market cycle trend. Um, but if the tap's on, the tap's on, everyone's going up. So um, it's quite difficult to make a long-term trade if you invest wisely in key players. It's very difficult to, to make a bad trade over a, a certain longer period of time because there is that growth in the market and the tap is on and there is that upward trend and that will continue as long as the new signups um, continue to come to the market. Um, but it's not, I, I don't like talking about this um, market growth in, in such a way that it's a pyramid type scheme because it's absolutely not and there's some really good documentation uh, that people have done to justify exactly why it's not it's not profit on this platform is not solely uh, based on the recruitment of new users that's not what this is at all um, but when the tap does turn off and new investors stop putting their money in and maybe they diversify into another platform another marketplace a crypto whatever it is um, then yeah, then that's going to be a key indicator of, you know, perhaps we need to exit this long-term strategy and then the volatility will be a key way to make money um, from the downward uh, trend. Yeah, I, I do agree with some things that you're saying there. Like, it is hard sometimes when you do buy a player that three months, maybe six months, even six weeks, doesn't really matter, after that purchase that it, that player is not higher than they were before just because for example you may have players that have a, a year left on their track or europa league squads coming up or um, as, as we're seeing now with the world cup 
if you know that the player is going to be more expensive in like six months, say, like World Cup players, then buying now at the low end allows you to then have the option to trade out at the end or and and make a great profit without even like having your players play in the World Cup. But what also happens when there is that long time scale, you do see this massive rush of FOMO towards, you know, when, when we do see the upward trend. There's this massive rush in because everyone knows this player is going to be more expensive for the World Cup. And so it seems like a, a no-brainer, right? Everyone just buys. So do see this mad rush and sometimes the price like outweighs how actually like how well they're going to perform in the World Cup or you know the price is just too good to be true in terms of an ability the ability to exit this position you know why don't you sell in that position if if you don't mind me asking um yeah there's definitely a case for it um personally if 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 I've um, bought it on a particular strategy that it's going to be um, a World Cup hold, for example, then I would look to exit that position closer to the World Cup, regardless of um, how high he's got. Because, as I said before, I genuinely think people underestimate um, the World Cup hype and, like you say, the FOMO that it's going to attract. So I think the players that are, you know, key World Cup holds um, for their national teams, um, you know, I think there's huge ups upside on their price at the moment. Um, so it's yes, yeah, it's, it's absolutely something that you need to pay attention to when you're exiting the position. But right now, for World Cup guys, I don't think we're there yet. But I, I am playing devil's advocate here once more. Wouldn't you say that some of these players have already had the the, the price boost that the World Cup has has given them? If that makes sense, we've seen, seen a lot of massive increases in Germany players, English players, of course, because they're going to donate media buzz, like. Do you not feel that some of these price rises have already happened to some extent? Yeah, pro probably. Um, I don't get all of them right. And, I'm, and if I only get 75% of them right, then I'm more than happy, happy with that. Um, <laughs> like I said, I can't call it, I don't know the market. The market um, dictates itself. And and if I miss that price peak, then hopefully I've bought in, bought in low enough that um, I'll still make a profit on that trade and I'll be able to recognise that Okay, we're definitely on a downward trend now, and it's time to exit that position. Um, but I, I do generally think that even those that perhaps have had a price rise, I think there's going to be more opportunities for a, a secondary or a, or a third, fourth price rise um, along the way, and and there'll be other opportunities to exit trades. Yeah, no, that, that's that's totally true as well. Like you don't know that those players are going to go back down, or if they have reached their peak. I just find it quite strange that like you know everyone's buying and buying and buying and we're definitely going to experience this kind of world cup bubble where we have these really inflated prices for the players that are actually you know playing in the world cup and then when they do crash out or they don't perform as well they may see a massive fall like i, I put together a media buzz returns uh, sheet for the euros and granted the euros isn't as big but if you think about it like with media buzz it's only uk papers and every UK sports journalist would have been covering the the Euros, right? So there there was probably as much hype for the Euros as there is the World Cup from from journalists because England were in the tournament. And I was really surprised by some of the some of the returns, like from the players like Mkhitaryan and and um, and other players that were you know in there for for transfer reasons. Gonzalo Higuain was in the top three a few times. 
do you not feel like as i said and i know you think that the world Cup is going to be this massive thing but again going back to the transfer window could that not take some of the limelight if some of these moves are massive yeah it will it will for sure and you're totally right that um the the media dividend for example is is isn't always going to be based around stuff that's happening around the world cup it will be there'll be transfers in there there'll be Pogba getting a haircut in there there'll be all sorts <laughs> of stuff um but obviously now we're in a the performance buzz is now available and that's 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 massively going to impact um, the dividend return. Um, and I, I think, I hope I'm not uh, putting my foot in it here, but come the 17th on the trade and me, I really hope that Football Index um, do put out further um, increase in dividends, whether it's a star player at the World Cup or uh, Golden Boot or whatever it is. But there's going to be something. It's the, it is the, what what the index has been building to the world cup can't have come at a better time for this platform and they're going to throw everything they got at it and i genuinely think uh people are under underestimating the growth that the football index is going to experience um next week at the trade of meet i think it's going to be a huge day um but then after that going forward um all the way up to the world cup well i mean i hope you're right man <laughs> um and, and I, I haven't really thought about that like actually implementing some sort of you know added dividend or um I, I don't know something special for the world cup because it is a special event it only comes around once every four years so you're right it's a great great chance for football index to market themselves as this product that um you know even because the, the football season is over that month preceding the world cup you can make yourself some money that month of the World Cup is on, you can make a lot of money. That month after the World Cup, you can make a lot of money. Whereas with bookies, you kind of have to wait. Right. Um, and and yeah, I, I do think this is going to be great for the index in general. Whether or not you do make money or lose money over the World Cup, I think the amount of users it attracts is going to grow the market so much so that it kind of outweighs those losses that you may have made. Would you not agree? Yeah, yeah, and absolutely. And I come back to my analogy with this, with this bucket. That this tap is going to be there's going to be a fire hydrant going into the bucket. So, um, in my opinion, um, so I think it's going to be very difficult for people to lose money if they trade wisely over the next few months. Um, and you're absolutely right. There is going to be um, those um, changes from when the season ends. There'll be a bit of transfer uh, spec. Then there'll be uh, the the World Cup itself, and then back to the transfer window. So there's going to be a fair few opportunities for the market to go through some of these cycles, whether it will or not. And players will just say, you know what, I'm just going to ride out this bump for a month and hold for the World Cup. Or if they're going to take opportunities at those bumps in the road, remains to be seen. So we'll see how it goes. Yeah, definitely. I think it's it's going to be great either way. Whatever happens, even if I make money or lose money during the World Cup, I think long term this is going to be really good for the platform in 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 general and you know just to segue perfectly on longevity as a massive investor and a, a massive portfolio holder where do you see this product going so outline me the the roadmap for the next nine to 12 months for football index where where do you see this platform going in terms of you know user numbers uh, expansion into other territories talk me through it uh, yeah, good point. I wish I had a crystal ball, but um, <laughs> my faith in the index certainly won't fane over the, the coming year, two years, or 
um, as, as long as the product continues to market itself and attract those new users um, and continues to evolve the product in, into a better and better version of itself. Um, so I think Football Index are working extremely hard on product development, um, although I wish they would work a little bit harder on the communication side of the house. Um, it's quite frustrating at times that they don't. Um, for example, Sweden, um, we've all been waiting for this big announcement in Sweden that didn't happen in February or so we thought. And then yeah. someone kind of noticed that uh, on the drop-down menu to sign up, Sweden's there along with, is it Isle of Man, Jersey, <laughs> those stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, that was frustrating. But, you know, I think that's an area that they, they can work on. Um, but beyond that, um, beyond the World Cup, I think it's going to attract that many users. And so, uh, the, a lot of players, a lot of trainers are going to have a really good experience. And uh, I hope and um, stay on the platform beyond the World Cup. And I hope people don't see it as you know, just a, a quick money in and out, because I think it's a very enjoyable product once you start um, getting into it. And the, the users that it attracts, they all like the football and it is a, it's a great alternative to online betting. Um, so I, I see it continuing to grow. Um, who knows where we're going to be in a year, two years. Um, they're obviously looking at expanding new territories all the time, um, which comes along with a lot of compliance, which I can only experience in the hold up with Sweden, um, Canada. but. Um, you know, I, I don't know how many countries it's going to be in, but I'll, I'll probably put my hat on the line here and say there's going to be more than Sweden and Canada next year. <laughs> I totally agree with that. And um, I, I know for certain that these regulatory processes aren't easy. And um, when you think about it, like Football Index is a really unique product, right? And it's a gambling product. When you approach like a regulator, they give you kind of like a, a sheet and they want you to kind of put your product into boxes, right? They want you to tick certain boxes for this structure that they already have in place. Um, and with something like Football Index, which is quite unique, quite strange in terms of a gambling product, to be honest, like it's really hard for them to go to regulators and be like, well, this is our product. And the regulators turn around and say, well, actually, we want you to fill out this form. And then Football Index go back and say, actually, like it's a bit of this. It's also a bit of this with a little bit of this if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and so it, it probably just makes your life a lot harder because you, it's not just like a slot machine casino game. You can't just tick that box. It is a, you know, a gambling product, but it's not quite a sports book. It's not quite an exchange because you're not trading odds. You're trading an asset with no intrinsic value. It's really hard for, for Football Index to actually go to a regulator, as I've just said before, and actually say, right, this is our product how do we get a gambling license for it they will just turn around and say right like this is the paperwork you need to fill out and then we're going to review it which isn't easy to do when you have a unique product because when you overlay what football index is onto these kind of tick boxes there's going to be gaps that suddenly appear and then you have to discuss with the regulator what those gaps are like why um people re uh, get dividends and why this isn't as you said a pyramid scheme and you know explaining all these things yeah, I mean, I know nothing about uh, the gambling compliance side of the house, but um, because it is such a unique product and it sits in between so many of the already established platforms, um, yeah, they, that's probably the, the delay and, and a real challenge that Football Index are going to have getting it through. Um, I, I'm not sure they said they target Sweden and Canada because they've got the easiest uh, forms of compliance. Um, God help them when they get to places like Hong Kong, 
all the little robots just get that <laughs> computer says no um but uh i mean it's obviously a good place to start um and and get get the platform through those compliance issues in different countries and then just build the case and say we can model it on this that and that that they've got in these countries and and i, I can only assume that's the way that they're trying to do it yeah, I totally agree. And uh, yeah, we'll see where it goes from a regulatory yeah. standpoint. And I'm, I'm sure it will be good once it's out in Sweden. And I'm sure hopefully get some uh, more Swedish listeners on on the podcast. But to, to wrap it up, and, and you mentioned communication and you kind of you, like we've discussed, like there's a reason that we haven't seen um, Sweden officially launch like a, an official communication yet. So what, what would you want from Football Index going forward in terms of changing things? You, you, you mentioned communications, and we, we talked about PB scoring quite a lot in the last podcast with ASP. What, what would you want changed or, or bettered? Yeah, I think you actually put a tweet out the other day, which I thought summed out quite nicely, is that traders thrive on transparency. Um, and I think Football Index really should take that on board and, um, and just be a bit more open with people um, if, if there is a delay in something or the product's not gone the way they had hoped and there's holes in the platform or, or whatever it may be, just acknowledge it and say we're working on it rather than, um, you know, putting your head in the sand and working on things in the background. If they haven't got a timescale, then fine. Just say, you know, noted, it's, it's, it's being worked on. Uh, that's better than nothing. At, at least, like, you, you know, we've been hammering at the door for so many issues and there's just been, you know, a, a a brick wall of, of no, no communication which is really frustrating from a, a user point of view i mean I, I quite like the announcement they made about like a, a live pb scoring right that was that was really succinct to the point and you know it's actually probably caused a bit more buying and selling which is obviously good because that means that football index make more commission and that you know increases confidence in the longevity of the product because if we have a mark uh, kind of a stagnant market sorry then who's paying for the dividends kind of thing um <laughs> so i think this live scoring implementation has been really good and the way they actually announced it was was pretty good as well i think they they said that they would address it and then they came out and actually made an announcement what i would like to see is is them shouting about it a bit more um not just putting out one tweet and being like there is kind of you know interacting with users about the um the live scoring who have said it's a positive thing retweeting them etc and actually making really obvious and uh yeah I, I think maybe some more email communication would be pretty good to to try and get the word out not just on twitter facebook as well potentially there's there's a small growing community on facebook as well yeah i mean absolutely you only have to look as um you don't have to look far back in history to see how the market responds to uh, that confidence that um that you get when uh, Football Index does communicate effectively with the traders, and um, and that that always proves an upswing in the market. So, and as Adam Cole said, Football Index profit more from a green day on the index than they do from a red day, which sounds surprising to many, but that's what he said. So, um, growth and confidence is massively important, and I think communication is key part of that. Yeah, I, I definitely think that. You know, an open line of communication, and I've said that as you've mentioned with my tweet that transparency is is just good for everyone because if you have happy customers, then your product is going to grow and become better. You know, full stop. If you are more transparent, then it just allows you to again 
make you more marketable make you more um uh just just allows you to be in a better position from a pr standpoint so i I think i totally agree with you and i think everyone would echo those thoughts that being transparent should be on the top of their priority list but you know i think they do have their hands full at the moment which i try to take into consideration but sometimes you know what it takes is a tweet as we've seen yeah definitely um yeah completely agree with everything you've said so so football analytics if you're listening then please take it on board (laughs) well uh yeah i think we'll we'll end on that punchline Stanford and uh yeah why don't you why don't you sign off and tell the listeners where they can find out more about you yeah sure um so just one other random thing on my twitter profile I was actually Stanford the lion so that's <laughs> that's um that's why that's why it is what it is and I did that for about 18 months um so if you ever wonder who the guy in the suit was then then at some point it was me uh, but it was a good laugh but anyway if you want to follow me on twitter um I think my handle's uh L-U-K-E-Y-0625, name Stanford, the rat catcher. Um, so but, um, best of luck to everyone that's trading out there. And I hope today that um, we've uh, we've caught some of those myths around um, the analogy of the rats and um, and also giving some guys some confidence and some some tips to, to hopefully go forward and, and have a really good year. Yeah, thanks so much for, for coming on, man. And, uh, you know, it's, I think your your Twitter your Twitter profile is, is quite funny, and I enjoy seeing your tweets. So uh, yeah, thanks for coming on, and uh, thanks everyone for listening. And if you did enjoy that, please do tell your mates about the podcast and tell your mates about the index. Do subscribe, leave a review. That really helps us rank this podcast and and give the football index name uh, you know some growth and and get it out there into the mainstream. Uh, you know, charting on you know, the top 200 sports and recreation podcasts in the UK is, is a big deal, but why not try to get it to top 10 or top five and, you know, really get that name out there and uh, yeah, subscribe on YouTube as well. And uh, yeah, message me if you, you need any assistance on the index. Thanks everyone for listening.